Welcome to Board Game Box Office, the Halo Knots podcast about board games, movies, and all the space in between. My name is Max, and today I'm joined here by Kenny and Kyle, the olds of the podcast. Initially, they were going to do a podcast with just them two, but they fell asleep on the mic, and so we are back for a second try with me hosting this time. I'm going to bring some of that young man energy to this game, and today we're going to be talking about Bad Decisions, a.k.a. Kickstarters. Amongst that, we're going to be talking about the games we've been playing and the movies we've been watching. Kyle, start us off, won't you, today? Listen, (laughs) this was not me and Kitty. All right, this was my daughter not sleeping. (laughs) It was not me. (laughs) And I I appreciate you because I and Doolin, we had had Jeff from Foster the Meeple come down into town. So we were a little bit busy this week, and I, I appreciate you all putting forth the effort, even though we're re recording it. I do appreciate you being there to to pick up the slack when when we laid it there for you. Oh yeah, it was a good it was a good dry run. I'm gonna use I'm gonna use all the same jokes and yeah, I'm, we're but I'm not gonna <laughs> well, change. Just be extra the, polished. Well, I'm yeah, not gonna change for the context of the situation. I'm just gonna use the same jokes. Oh okay, <laughs> I'm sure that'll that'll go swimming. Everything I say is scripted anyway, so I'm just gonna go. <laughs> uh, Max is gonna say something. I'll be like, "That's right, Kenny." Um. <laughs> Anyways, have you heard of Can Jam? <laughs> I, 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 I. This is a weird thing. I've never heard of this thing. I didn't want to say it because I just I don't want to get you guys further off topic last time. But this is a, must be a weird Midwest thing. Yeah, it does exist. It does Do you exist. play yard games at all? Yeah, but like, he doesn't it, go outside. That's true. Um, but no, <laughs> we, we'll play the you know the we toss the bag into the thing cornhole. Cornhole. Let me ask you this, Kyle. What's better, cornhole or ladder golf? Oh, cornhole. I think ladder Mm. golf is one of the weaker yard games. Really? I like ladder golf. There's this one I've been playing a lot um, the past couple summers called Cube. Uh, Never heard of it. Yeah, you just got like... That sounds like a Minnesota thing. Hey, you want to go play some Cube? It might be. (laughs) There's smart people up there. It's probably like actually Cube. But they just no. say goob. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've come to realize I did not play these yard games growing up because the summers in Las Vegas were way too hot. So you just didn't go outside mm, at that's all. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I've missed And out almost on- all my yard games are played at the lake. Mm. So like I don't play yard games anywhere else, but like ladder golf, bocce ball, lawn darts. Dude, I love some bocce. Dude, bocce's great. I played bocce, bocce a ton great. in college. Oh, super when cool. We- we went out of Florida this summer, and they were just like they were like bocce leagues. I don't get it; it's crazy. My favorite—I uh, don't know if this is the lawn games. Have you played spike ball? I've never yeah, played it. That yeah. seems like a young man's game. It is. But I play. <laughs> you have some mobility. When I'm at the lake, my neighbors they play spike ball, and I'm like, wow, they're working hard. I mean, the problem with spike ball is you can't you can't have a drink in your hand with spike ball. You're moving too much. Cornhole, you could have like you could be double fisting if you really wanted to. See. It looks really fun, but my neighbors at the lake are all, like, really physically fit mid-20s. And, like, I don't want to be like, hey, can I play as I'm a 29-year-old dad bod? No, I'm past dad bod kind of (laughs) guy. Like, if if we all went to the lake and played spike ball, as people who weren't good at it, I'm not even, like, athleticism aside, they play it a lot. I would feel more comfortable trying to to play that game, but I don't want to go play with a bunch of, like, semi-pros over here. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're if you're like athletic and like coordinated, like it's a game like you can just like do like these crazy stunts and moves and flips and dives. 
Uh, I don't do I that, that stuff. So. <laughs> okay, oh, so you're movies, being modest, Kyle. Kenny. <laughs> I've seen you. Well, That's true. <laughs> thanks. That's true. Oh, Kenny, by the way, I lugged Terrorscape, Forbidden Stars, and your entire bag of games over to Doolin on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. And then we played Blockbuster and Sea Salt and Paper. And <laughs> oh I had to lug God. everything back home. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad. And I mean, like, Jeff was like half sick still. So, like, I'm not blaming anybody um, because he thought he was going to take Terrorscape and Forbidden Stars home, but he couldn't fit it into his luggage. So, uh, it was just me carrying a lot of games to and from. It's <laughs> <Just> like, <"Ugh." laughs> that was my exercise. All right, we've passed the five-minute mark, Kyle. Get us started. Boys, I played uh, this game called Cube to, uh, this weekend. No, I played... Uh, <laughs> last week, I played an 18xx game, uh, Shikoku 1889, which is a uh, an older game, but it has since been uh, redeveloped uh, um, and launched on Kickstarter. My friend Kevin backed it, and he just got it in. Played a three-player game, game of that. Where you can only have like certain numbers in a, in a three-by-three square. Like the lines, the columns, and the rows all have to. Oh, you're thinking of Sudoku. Common mistake, oh. but you just made it, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Sudoku, Shukoku. I get, shit, I this get is Shikoku. Oh, shit. Koku. Shikoku. No, it's actually very good. I don't want to call it Shikoku. Uh, all right, so Shikoku I played uh, is a city in Japan, too, so that's just extra ignorance, Max. Yeah, it well, is. Well, I've never been to Japan. If Josh was here on the podcast. Mm, oh, my God. Please. We wouldn't get him to shut up. <laughs> You'd be like, let me tell you about Shikoku. I visited there. <laughs> he doesn't care about the game. He just wants to talk about the no. game. Uh, I, so I played, I played three 18XX games before. 1830, 1846, and Shikoku 1889 now. Uh, I did not like 1830 at all. 1846 was good, uh, albeit a little bit long. And I really, really enjoyed Chikoku 1889. Uh, and so the thing with 18xx games is they're all essentially kind of the same. Um, there's not a ton that differentiate them, in my opinion, at least. Uh, the maps are different. Um, but usually what's happening is there's a round of stock rounds where you're buying into companies. And then there's rounds of operating rounds where these companies are being ran to buy trains. And then those trains run to make money. And then you choose to either pay that money to the people that own stocks or to keep that money into the corporation. And that, that is essentially 18xx in a nutshell. You're just buying into companies and manipulating the money that they earn. Um, now, what I really liked about 1889 is, one, the map is smaller, and it played really well at three. Uh, two, it was fast. Like, it was one that we could... We played on a weekend because it was our first play, but it's one that we could play like on a weeknight and I think get it done in three hours. No problem. Man said it but plays fast and then three hours. For 18xx, yeah, it's all relative, right? It's not like... I guess that I've never played one. Well, the, yeah, like 1830 is like a TI4 length style Holy of 18xx cow. games. And that's why I didn't really like it, because in 18xx, you are kind of just doing the same thing every single round, um, and it gets a little monotonous. So being able to parse that back with something like 1889 um, was really enjoyable to me, because it the monotony did not really wear in as it did in 1830. Um, but you still make all the same decisions. It's like, uh, if you own two companies, uh, you can make one like really, really strong and like essentially embezzle money from one to the other, uh, to make them better and make this other corporation suck. And if like your friend has stock in it, you can like 
sell all of your stock and now they're the leader of this or the president of this really shitty company um so you're making some really cool interactive decisions uh it is very mathy um i will say if you're playing 18xx games and you're wanting or you want to try 18xx games i think shikoku 1889 is a great starting point and i've also heard 18 chesapeake is a great intro too but i've never played that one yeah, I was literally about to ask if you thought the Shikoku was a good entry point because I've heard the same about Chesapeake, and a lot of people say to the the Ride the Rails series. That, Which I like uh, Ride the Rails. Capstone I like games. Yeah, the the oh, what what are they called? They're not. It's not Ride the Rails. One of them's uh, Ride Ar- the Rails. Iron Rail. The Iron Rail series oh, okay. is okay, yeah, yeah. Iron Rails are good. Um, they are a different animal though. They are definitely a lot lighter. All the rules are mm-hmm. on one page. You can you're knocking those out in thirty to forty five minutes. Um. But yeah, 18xx games are, I I pretty much only want to play 1889 now. Like my, my friend Kevin has three of them. And like, if he asked me to play 1846, like one Saturday, I would say yes. But like, I'm all in about 1889. It's giving me that exact same feel as the other two, but just in a shorter time frame. Um, Yeah. Sign me up for that. Is this like a genre of games that like you, like, do you own Shikoku or did you just play it? No, Kevin owns it. I I don't, I've just played it. It's not one that I would like dive deep I, you're, into you're myself my question yeah, yeah. sorry mm-hmm. sorry no go that no up. that's you you jumped the dude go off all means that's a good job it's uh it's one that i enjoy playing but it's not one that i'm like gonna dive into it's not gonna be my thing um i really like economic games but i kind of like the diversity of other economic games like it's one i want to be brought out every once in a while and not one that's mm-hmm. like i'm gonna i want to plan to play and if i owned one i would need to plan to play it um sure. But yeah, it's a, it was a great game. I really I really enjoyed that one. I don't know if you would. I was talking about this with Kenny uh, when we first recorded. I would let, I would love Kenny to try it because I think Kenny might enjoy it. I don't think Doolin would. And I would be torn on if you would, Max, because like I think you would. It sounds boring, but there's just enough interaction between the players uh, that I think you could have some fun with it. From what I know about 18xx games, they do pique my interest, but it really is just that like uh, return investments. Like, like at what point is there a I don't, not a net loss, but diminished returns, where yeah. it's just like the amount of time you put into a game for like the amount of enjoyment and like how many times would I want to play it? Like, yeah, I do think sure. I'd probably like it, and I think I I would I actively want to play an 18xx game one time at the very least, just to say, hey, I did it. But is it like a genre of games that I'm going to continue coming back to? I, I kind of doubt it, but maybe I'd be happy to be proved wrong. Have you played any of the Iron Rails, either of you? Irish Gage, Iberian Gage, Ride the Rails? I owned them both. Not Ride the Rails, but Irish and Iberian. Uh, never played either of them. Well, yeah, you, I think you, you sold the Iberian Gage to me. So we, <laughs> yeah, we I have, did. We have it collectively. Oh, so. do you? So you own Iberian Gage? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, try to get a four or five player game of Iberian Gage. That's probably yeah. my favorite. Um. Okay. Irish Gage is very fun, and Jeff and Jamie actually really liked Irish Gage when they came to Columbus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll have to try and table that. I think uh, 18x6 games have always ordered me off just because of the play length. Like, some of these, some, a lot of the other ones are like five, six more hours, right? Um, so one that's yeah. shorter, like this, you said three three hours, this probably seems like a good sweet spot. Um, but it's just, because, you know, in my free time, I love to be a capitalist pig. And just, you know, raking in all the money, tanking <laughs> my socks, corporations. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Same. Same. Yeah. If you can't Maybe we'll get around to them. it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Maybe we'll get around to trying uh, Iberian Gage one of these days. But. We'll take a duel and kicking and screaming. 
Yeah. All right, Kenny, what you been playing? Uh, so the other day we got a play-in of Cosmic Frog. This is by Devious Weasel Games and designed by Jenna Feli. Um, Cosmic Frog is just like a crazy, <laughs> crazy area control game with deep theme of you are of frogs fighting an interstellar battle while they're eating at the train, putting in their tummies, and then other other frogs are trying to take those train out of their tum- out of the other frogs' tummies and put in their own tummies. <laughs> and whoever has the most points win. There we go. That's you Cosmic got, Frog. Nailed it. I love it. Um <laughs> even as I was teaching this game again, because I was teaching it to Jeff for the first time, Kenny was just like, I feel like you're pranking him. Like I feel <laughs> like you're just like these the rule the things that you are saying cannot be rules to a board game. That yeah. just doesn't make sense. It, it, it seems like insanity. Um it really but, does. But it I mean, but the game is still hilarious and fun. It's it's kind of like an off the wall mm-hmm. um, area control game. Like where you never really know what's going to happen from turn to turn. It's really like tactical mm-hmm. in that way. Um, like we had a lot. Of, like I think my my favorite thing about the aspect of the game is just the turn order aspect, where basically instead of like you know just going around in a circle, everyone still actually has there's a deck of cards that basically can uh, decides who's going to go next in turn order. So that means like you could have a turn where you have like uh, you're you're taking all five of your actions in the first quarter of the of the of the round, which means you're just kind of sitting there. Um, yeah, you're for the sitting last. duck. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, there's uh, it that just creates really unpredictable like play patterns, and um, you have to really just kind of think on your feet with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this game was interesting because it was much more aggressive than the last game I played, uh, which mm-hmm. I think the last time we played was more just about getting terrain, getting the right sets. Uh, this one mm-hmm. was just more about, like, let's punch each other, um, mm-hmm. which which is fun, but I think it was a bit longer than um, we did, than I, I would probably want the game to be. Like, I think it would take, like, two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. But and, and but I'll say, like, I, I think I used that to my advantage because I was just, like, y- eating, going yum-yum on the, all the different terrain types and you guys were fighting, and I was able to sneak in a win. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Cosmic Frog, great game. Um, I, I, I find it just incredibly interesting and like, I really d- admire just the design chops on it because there's some things in the game that it does like really well, like, um, just adding in these like weird, really weird points are just like fun. Cause I think like when, in our game we played with Jeff, his power is basically like, okay, yeah, before, when you roll your dice, which is usually just straight di- dice rolls for combat, you get a hide of dice. You hide the dice, and your opponent has to guess if if they're telling the truth on what you say it is, right? So, like, if Jeff rolled a five, um, Dylan has to he's going to say five, and Dylan has to say whether he believes him or not, and whether he's right or wrong, uh, one person's going to get like a two point bonus to their to the roll, which is pretty huge in the overall game. And I, mm-hmm. I love that there's just this like weird, random like mini game kind of stuffed into the game that's just part of a player power. Um, I don't know if it's balanced or what whatnot, but it, it just I love the wrinkles of just like weirdness in the game. So uh, it seems like one of those things where like balance wasn't necessarily like top of mind. Sure, yeah. and that's okay. And that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Games don't have to be mathematically balanced all the way through, especially stuff like that where it's like really like leans into the the wackiness. Um, so you mentioned the player order. 
Um, and it sounds like the new uh, Tales to Amaze, like the Unmatched Adventure, similar mm-hmm. style of player order. You just shuffle up a deck of cards and you pull out, and whoever's uh, card gets flipped up is who goes. Mm-hmm. Um, have you found that to be screwy enough? Like, have you found that to like piss you off ever um, because of how random that can be? Or is it just something that you know going in and it's not that big a deal? I think it's kind of good. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think it feels real bad if you're like beginning of turn, all your returns just happen, right? Because like you are like that sitting duck and you have to basically play really defensively towards the end of your turn. Um, but I mean, it's also just like this game, like, I feel like it's a game you can't take too seriously as well, just because it is just, it can't be so off the wall. There's just. Is it long are, though? I think two. Like our game took like two and a half hours. Probably two hours on so, average. It's like a two and a half hour game. Time. Like a two and a half hour game, I do kind of want to start taking seriously. You know, you know what I mean? Sure. It's, yeah. Well, I think we all took it seriously, though. Like we all wanted to win. Yeah. Uh, to answer uh, your question, Kyle, I've never mean. felt like the action deck. It never made. I've never felt bad about it. Um, I think it probably could, but like the odds of your when there's twenty two cards in the deck, the odds of your card being the first five drawn or five out of the first eight are like very slim. Like. Yeah, it definitely can get you into a lot of trouble, but like that's a pretty rare occurrence. Now, there were multiple times in that single game where one of us had three or four of our cards drawn really early on, but like it never really affected us in a in a super negative way. Um now in a two-player game, if you went like 5 and 5 maybe because it's the only one person taking turns for the remainder of the time, but it, it, when there's other frogs bouncing around the ba- battlefield, it didn't it didn't really phase me at all. Gotcha. Um, I love Cosmic Frog. I've talked about it a lot on the on the YouTube channel before. I don't know how much I've talked about it on the podcast, but uh, like Kenny mentioned, this was a little bit of a longer game uh, just because we were so aggressive. Um, in most of the games we've played, we do a pretty solid mixing of gathering resources and fighting. And in this game, we were really just fighting a lot. And like Kenny said, he took advantage of that and won the game by being the person who was able to set himself up the most. Now, I had the best, I had the most lands in my vault, but because I was doing a lot of fighting, it's harder to plan out your vault because you're taking what other people have gathered and you're getting them the way they came out of someone's gullet. So you're not able to like place them as strategically as you can if you're the one harvesting your own lands. So at the end of the game, I think Kenny only had nine lands in his his vault, whereas I probably had like 12, but the way his were placed scored him quite a few more points than the way mine was placed. So there's like a trade-off too of like a, a bit of a bit of planning and strategy that can happen when you're you're able to control it a little more and a bit of chaos that can happen when you're just kind of taking what comes to you. Um but yeah, I don't know. I could talk about Cosmic Frog for a long time and I won't, but I think a lot <laughs> of the design decisions are just super cool. It keeps you on your feet. The Aether Flux that has you swap the frogs like you talked about one of Jeff's ability and another was his that he's allowed to use his whip tongue to harvest lands from adjacent spaces, which is huge. And I just love that the game always puts you into new spots. You may get a frog that sucks and then you may get a frog that's amazing and you may get a frog that changes the way you play the game all in one gaming session. Uh, Then you have like the splinter strikes that can immediately push you into the aether. I just think there's so many unique and fun things about cosmic frog. It's, it's probably it's probably in my top ten games of all time at this point. Um I just I think wanna it's play that fantastic. I we gotta play I it when I come it. down. Yeah, 
I would happily. I will say we do have the expansion, the Find Muck expansion, which introduces mental combat, introduces chips for combat rather than dice, a little bit more bluffing. Um, but we have not learned the rules yet for that. And I do feel like maybe there may be stuff from the Find Muck expansion we don't include in every game, but I feel like the mental combat and the chips might just be like an auto include once we learn how to play with them. Whether you use the muck tiles or not, we'll see. But yeah, I'll play Cosmic Prog any day of the week. Love that game. Anything else? Okay. I played not a lot lately. Um, so I wanted to talk quickly about a game that I think is thematic and appropriate for the podcast. Uh, funnily enough, it's hard for me to talk about, and I'll tell you why. I uh, went to Barnes & Noble the other day, and I picked up the Blockbuster, the game, and also the Rotten Tomatoes game. Because so I was like, hey, I haven't bought a board game in a long time. Actually, I kind of lied about that because I bought Nightmare Productions. Three out of the last four board games I've bought have been movie-themed. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, Nightmare Productions, Blockbuster, the Rotten Tomatoes game, and then I talked to you about this in the Discord. Kenny, I don't know if you've ever heard of this game, and I'm not going to talk about it now, but Imperium the Contention I found at a local board game store. Really excited about that. But um, Blockbuster, I was uh, purchasing it at Barnes & Noble, dropped it. Everything fell out. I put it all back in, checked out. I didn't care about getting a new box. It literally comes in like a VHS case. It's pretty cool. Got home, got to Doolin's to play it, realized that I must have lost the rules when it dropped out of the oh game box. Gosh. Um, in the middle of Blockbuster, so I didn't Maybe have never the had rules. rules. It, I really don't <laughs> think it did because I picked everything up and put it back. But like you know, the creators were like, sense. "There's no way anybody buys sense. this. We don't need well, rules." <laughs> it's funny because I googled it, and on BGG, the the most recent thread was just, "This game is more fun if you just play with the moniker's rule set." And so I was like, "Okay, okay, that's what we're doing." <laughs> <laughs> I don't even need to look up the rules for Blockbuster. We're just going to play with the Moniker's rule set. So it's literally just movies on cards. And it's just, just played, movie prompts. It's just movie yeah. prompts. But we just played exactly what Moniker's was. So every answer was a movie. And it was great fun. It was it was exciting. It was fun. You do the whole, the, the anything you want, one word, and then act it out. Um, and it was it was great. So... I fully recommend the Blockbuster board game if you're looking for movie prompt cards for your Monikers game night. Other than that, I have nothing else to say. The box is really cool. It comes with a timer that I didn't use because I couldn't find a battery or a screwdriver. Uh, yeah. Did you, uh, did you open Rotten Tomatoes by chance? I did. Are, are, do those have trivia questions? No, we've played or Rotten like Tomatoes before, actually. We played it at Gen Con. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is not a trivia game. It is a game in which you are... The first person to lay out 10 movies uh, in order of their Rotten Tomatoes rankings wins the game. And so you start with like three cards in front of you, and then someone will draw a card and will say Terminator. And you have to decide where that goes in your line in front of you. Oh, we should play that on the pod. Yeah, we absolutely could. Uh, And then the first person to get all 10 of them would win. We played some game, mini games similar to it. Uh, in, yeah, in terms of sure. what, the, what the gameplay is, yeah. In terms of yep. like guessing their Rotten Tomatoes rating, <clears throat> mm-hmm. yeah. So I just figured, um, you know what? It feels feels right to own movie board games. Hey, no, no complaints. Yeah, I, I I liked the Rotten Tomatoes when we played it. Um, it was, I mean, it, it, it 
the micro the micro decisions you have to make into figuring out okay is is Jaws rated higher than um, The Shining? You know, you mm-hmm. have to a lot of mental math to kind of get there, but it's it's a lot of fun. And you can play one game where you're like critic rating, and then another mm-hmm. game where you're like, let's do audience rating, and then yeah. everything changes. It's wildly yeah. different sometimes. Yeah. So I don't have a lot to say about Blockbuster or Rotten Tomatoes card games, but I I think they're great. If you like movies, I think they're nice, fun little party games. And I oh, I, I like movies. Try them out. Yeah. Do you? I'm not. What Jash. have you been watching lately? <laughs> Oh, that's a hell of a segue, Max. It I gotta give props. <laughs> wow. I'm interrupting the awesome segue to mention how awesome segue that was. I thought you set me up for that on purpose. <laughs> no. God, thanks for the credit. All right. I would have sorry, never known, Kyle. Sorry, everybody in the Discord who gets sick and tired of Spooky Month, but it is still early in November. And the most recent movie I watched is still a, a scary movie, or scary adjacent at least. I watched the classic, I think it's from 1982 movie, Poltergeist. Now, Poltergeist is written by Steven Spielberg, but not directed by him. Um, oh, he I actually did that. not, he could not direct it because he had a uh, clause in his ET contract that he could only direct ET at that time. And so he could not direct Poltergeist at the same time. Um, Poltergeist is what I would describe as my first horror movie. Uh, It was not very scary for somebody who's watching it for the first time uh, in 2023 at 35 years old. Um, I can't imagine it being very scary for somebody watching it at 35 years old in in the 1980s. Um, But I could see it being very scary for somebody who's like 10 watching it for the first time. Um, And I, I think that's where the movie is like actually really interesting because it's not a bad movie. I actually enjoyed it. I was not bored. Um, it was fine enough plot wise. I like what it did. It was very Steven Spielberg esque. It is so Spielberg in in its feel. Um, but if I were to show my girls a horror movie and I was thinking like, okay, I want to show them a horror movie to see if they like it. What age and what movie? I think it would be big adventure. Oh, yo, man, that one scene. No, it's too scary. <laughs> Large Mars. Too scary. <laughs> too scary. I think it would be Poltergeist at like nine. Like, I would be fine showing Brie most of this movie now. And I think she would be okay. I think there would be some things that she'd be like, oh, man, is that is that real? Or is that that's kind of scary? But I don't think anything would like unsettle her. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it's because of how dated it is. I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, But yeah, it just doesn't. Do it. There's no jump scares, really. There's no really like graphic, like gore. So it it was a good enough movie. I'm just like I'm kind of surprised like how popular it is or how in the zeitgeist it is. I guess. Yeah, I, um, I think like the Spielberg aspects are definitely there because there's like really I remember there being a lot of really big set pieces in the movie, just like you know big scenes that happen, just stuff getting sucked into portals. Um. But yeah, I, I, I thinking about like movies that are good for kids. Uh, I, I asked my wife about this and she basically said she grew up watching like evil dead Two, um, a bunch of these incredibly yeah. gory and violent movies. Like when she was like five or six, and I'm like, well, that's the same as my wife. She yeah. like grew up on all these, all these things that I was like terrified to watch until I was 18. <laughs> Just show them skin them a rink. Oh my God. Max. They'd fall asleep. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> They just want they she they just wander off at that point. And just go go to something else. 
I've never seen Poltergeist, so I have nothing really to add. But like, you think it's it's still worth a watch in twenty twenty three? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Max, I think you would like it quite a bit. Um, just based and now, this is not to throw shade at you or anything like that, or to get back on my on my high horse about this. It, it's got a little bit of a ghost watch feel, um, in terms of like why I think you would like it because it just has that classic feel to it. Um, that I think you are really good at like just respecting a movie for when it came out. Maybe too good. Uh, well, some might say that. <laughs> <laughs> some might say that what so you watched the exorcist too right around around, around this time like better movie exorcist oh yeah i like the exorcist a lot more okay did you did you find the exorcist scary at all um uh it's it's weird it's hard for me to say scary still like there's not a lot of stuff that scares me insidious is a movie i recently watched i did okay. find some legitimate scares there i was about um, but to yeah ask. exorcist What's Without that? getting too deep into horror month again, I don't, I don't think we need to. But like, what's the last movie that scary scared you? Like, really? And and you would say Insidious then? I mean, Insidious was like there were scary parts, but like I didn't leave like thinking like, oh man, there's something in the house or anything like that. I I don't know. It would have to have been when I was in like high school, honestly, or yeah. college. It would have been. Uh, Something that I saw for the first time. Like, yeah, I know. Like, no, I, no, I, no. I, that's not it. I I find myself constantly scared of watching scary movies. I think I will say like I find if you're watching them at home, it's easier to control your um mm-hmm. sure. reactions and stuff. But, like watching them in theaters, like man, when you're like enclosed in the dark room and just all you can see is mm-hmm. that big big screen, um, jump scares hit a lot harder. But Maybe um, I'm yeah, thinking I, about it differently than I used to, like, because I used to think, like, a movie was scary if it, like, sat with me and it would make me, like, be worried to, like, go into a room without turning the light on. Yeah. And it's not like that now. But, like, during the movie, there was definitely times where I'm like, oh, where it's like, right. like Hereditary has given me some of those and Cities gave me some of those. Like, even in The Exorcist, like, the creepiness of the girl once possessed, like, the last, like, half hour when she's, like, screaming and puking and The Exorcist is just, like, yelling at the top of his lungs, like, that made me uneasy. Okay. Yeah, I think that maybe we just look at it in different ways because, yeah, I can't really think of the, the last time a movie affected me hours after. Like, it, I I probably am with you that I probably would have been a, a younger man when the movie last really, like, got to me that way. Uh, but, like, I was genuinely, and you laugh all you want, scared in Ghostwatch. Like, not, not, like, actively shaking to my boots, but, like, there were moments where I was like, oh, like, that, that got me. And, like, an REC and like the exorcist like you talk about like there are plenty of movies these days that still give me the heebie-jeebies there's a couple that i'd be curious like i don't know if you'll ever watch this movie if you do it's because i put it on a movie club list (laughs) but something like climax which i've talked about maybe on the podcast before just like horror adjacent like the entire movie i was just like anxious as hell like this is this cannot be good See, like i wasn't I like scared like. but i was like anxiety from yeah you're like heart, your heart rate was up yeah, yeah exactly like oh god what's gonna happen next like oh i would be curious i might have to put that on the list for you it's a great movie i don't i think you'll hate it but it's a great movie <laughs> uh, good assumption yeah what a great way to get someone into a movie i think you'll hate it i'm gonna make you watch it <laughs> It's too art house. But I'm broadening your horizon. Put yeah. that on there with some stupid ass anime too. I'll be yeah. freaking thrilled that month. All right, dude. Perfect blue. Perfect blue. And uh <laughs> and climax coming at you. 
All right, Kenny, what you been watching? Well, I think November's a new October because I'm also going to talk about a scary movie. So recently, Don't tune out of Board Game Box Office. I am not going to talk about a scary movie. <laughs> yeah, next time I won't talk about a scary movie. Uh, but, I mean, here's the thing. With, with my wife, uh, every every month is spooky month. So I'm... I love that. I'm watching all of them. Um, so we watched a, a movie just the other day called When Evil Lurks. Um, have you heard of this, Max? Kyle? I have because you recommended it. That. Um, and it's, it just recently came out, right? Yes. Uh, it just came out. It's a foreign film. It's filmed in Argentina, I believe. Um, and it came out on Shudder recently. Um, I don't think it really got a big theatrical release here in the States. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to try to spoil a lot about when evil lurks, but it is, uh, it is a horror movie. It's a horror movie about a family trying to, where they live in a world where there is kind of like this possession-based viral um, thing that kind of passes around. And there, it's a movie with rules, right? Like, you don't, this will cause this thing to happen, or don't do this, or you'll die, or whatever. Um, so without giving too much about it, like, um, it's a movie of rules and bad decisions. Um, because the two main characters in the movie make a lot of them. Um, and you know, to the point like where it becomes almost comical and it becomes just incredibly dark and depressing. Um, and one thing I'll say too, about when evil arch is that it is just like one of the most brutal movies I've ever seen. There are like probably like two or three scenes in particular that are just like rough, like, uh, really, really rough. Um, and again, I don't want to go into like details on it because I think it's better to kind of go in with like an open mind um, with the movie or just not have like any preconceived notions. But it is uh, just in- incredibly um, brutal uh, in many ways. Um, so I think like from a from a film perspective, like one of the things I really liked about the movie is that the first half of the movie like is really ambiguous. So, like what's happening in this world? Like why are these things happening? And um, what is the cause of all this? And it's like, you, you are just kind of thrown into it really quickly. You have to try to figure out like, okay, like, well, I think this is happening because of this. And I think this is happening because of this. Um, and then, and so like that am- am- ambiguity and mystery, like really plays really well into the movie. Um, it creates just like adds more to the unsettling feel. But I think my big, one of my big things about the movie is that like halfway through, they shifted completely and went into direction. It was like, okay, well, we were a bit ambiguous before, but here's everything laid out straight up. Here's a lot of expo- exp- exposition that explains everything. Um, and so at that point, kind of just, I feel like it kind of fell off at that point. Like, I feel like honestly, the movie peaks like halfway through and never really is able to, k- to keep the momentum. Mm. Um, so like, I think overall, like, I also have the issues with like some of the the tone wise of the movie because like it is such a dark and brutal movie, but in some points it feels like almost like a B movie, and so it was just like how it's filmed and just like the overall tone of it. Um, so I, that kind of I found off putting, but I mean I think I think it's a movie you'll love, Max. Um, I don't I don't know if you'd like it, Kyle. Um, but, uh, uh, I'm I gotta say like your last like five minutes there kind of like. <laughs> Turn me off a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's not a movie. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a movie for everyone. It's not like a feel good horror film. Uh, it's like the opposite. Um, but if that's your thing, um, it is. I mean, I, I'll say to you, like, 
some of the scenes in this movie are just like when this movie scenes are just gonna stick with you for a lifetime. Like that's just gonna mess you up. Um <laughs> as you kinda live with it and let it stews in your let it stews in your brain canals. Um but yeah, I, I liked it. I didn't love it. It's not a movie I don't ever want to watch again. It is just a bit too much for me. But I admire like the filmmaking and just like how how bold they were able to go um with it. Like this is there's stuff in this movie I thought I'd never see, but I did. So <laughs> Yeah, this sounds sick. I'm gonna watch it for sure. I'll talk. <laughs> maybe I'll talk about it this this coming podcast. Just, oh, people will love that. Just yeah. just just like a hey, Kenny, you're right. That movie was great. Something like that. I don't know. Uh, I love. I mean, we talked about this before, and it shows in my movie and my game taste. We just talk about Cosmic Frog, but I love when people like swing for the fences. Like I love when they try something new and exciting, and out there, and unheard of. And it sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I really, really applaud the effort. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Babylon, which is a wild and wacky film that's like really misses on a lot of key areas, but they swung for it and it's fantastic in many ways. And I don't know. I, I know those aren't comparable, but I just love when, when things are uh, unique and out there. I'm excited to try it out. Yeah. And I'll say too, I think that's, that's very common in like horror. Like it's, I think people mm-hmm. are swinging for the fences a lot to differentiate themselves. So, um, but yeah, the evil lurks, I thought it was a good movie. One I will never want to watch again. <laughs> and I recently watched a movie. Um, I don't, I'm not going to talk too in depth about it because I don't think either of these folks have seen it. And I really actually recommend it. Um, many of you might've seen it because it's by Martin Scorsese and it is after hours. This is a film that came out in 1985. It stars Griffin Dune, who is like the lead character in An American Werewolf in London. He's also in The French Dispatch and Ocean's 8 and things like that. But uh, it is basically in one wor- in one sentence, it is uh, a movie. I don't even know how to summarize this in one sentence. I should have planned, should have planned this out. but. Basically, Griffin Dune's character, uh, his name is Paul. He is down bad, and he is looking for some loving, if you know what I'm saying. And it takes him across New York in different places, and it is a fever dream of everything that can go wrong will go wrong. This isn't necessarily a horror movie. and It's not. No, it's not at all a horror movie, but I'm afraid that what I was saying might lead you to believe it was. It's not a horror movie. It's a comedy movie. But it does have like that element of anxiety. Uh, I've never seen Uncut Gems, but it reminds me, or it makes me think that that's maybe what Uncut Gems is like, as far as just like what can go wrong, will go wrong, and a constant trip of anxiety. Uh, but this movie is wild and wacky and hilarious uh, and just very Scorsese fun. doesn't do a lot of comedy. <laughs> It, I, well, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street is pretty funny. Oh, that's fair. Uh, Good, to right. clarify, I have only seen three Scorsese movies, which is Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed, and After Hours. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right for the most part. Like Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Killers of the Flower Moon. Like people aren't looking at those as far as like comedies. But uh, After Hours is fantastic. Uh, I have the Criterion 4K Blu-ray copy of it, and it looks beautiful played beautiful 
Um, I don't know if this is streaming anywhere. It looks like it's not. Um, you can just rent it on Amazon right this moment. But I would, if anybody has a physical player, I know Kyle doesn't because he's dumb. But I would let you borrow it if you wanted to watch it. I, I really think it's fantastic. Um, I don't know if, if Kyle would like it, but After Hours is very no, good. No. It's teetering you on that four, Kyle. four and a half range for me. But You said Kyle. Uh, you should check out After Hours. It has some of the cast of Home Alone in it. it does. <laughs> like that's my only criteria. It does. It has uh, it has Catherine O'Hara in it. It has Cheech and Chong in it. Uh, it has John Hurd in it. Look at like what a cast list. What a cast list. Uh, I like to think that Martin Scorsese actually secretly directed Home Alone, but he just gave up uh, directing credits to someone else. Yeah, you might be right. You might yeah, be right. Yeah, what you got Pesci? Big. He's a big Scorsese guy. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I don't. This is a movie that not like in the in the in the Scorsese influence sphere of influence. I don't think After Hours is very high on like acclaim, critical and cultural acclaim. Uh, but for me, after only seeing three of them, I think After Hours is great, and I recommend it. I was very happy to watch it, and I hope others give it a shot too. I have no idea what the movie's about. It's. Did you not hear? It's about a guy who's down bad, and okay. he goes around and gets into get lots of trouble. Bad. Okay, he gets into a lot of trouble. I can't say I would spoil the movie if I gave, <laughs> if I gave you too many too many ideas of what happened. When sure it's after midnight in New York this. City, you don't have to look for love, laughter, and trouble. They'll all find you. That's the tagline on Letterbox. But. uh yeah, it's hard to talk about this movie without getting into spoilers because it is just a movie where stuff happens and it's like, oh, that just happened. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, like new Mac, things popping up left and right. Here's my question for you. Here's my answer Because you. you don't want to get into it too much and I, yeah. I get that. But we can't just say like, I recommend this movie. You need to give me and Kenny, give the audience like a number like, hey, I want you to check this out 10 out of 10, or I want you to check the, like, I said, if you, my have rating. Your, if you have, but that doesn't mean anything. Like if you, <laughs> I have other things on my watch list, like, should I be like skipping no. those to watch after hours? You should not strictly because, um, it is a movie that I really, really recommend everyone watch. And if you're really, if, if what I've said to you is like, wow, that sounds fun up my alley, rent it on Amazon. It's worth the $4, $5 to rent it. So float on. If, however, yeah, perhaps if, however, (laughs) you just are like, yeah, I'll get it when I get it, then just wait for it to come to streaming. I mean, it'll probably come to streaming eventually. It's a Scorsese movie. I don't know. The rights get passed around left and right. I imagine one of these days it'll pop up on streaming or you could support physical media and go that route like I have done. But no, it's not a movie you need to seek out tomorrow. It's, what made I you, really what, liked it. But. What made you want to watch this movie? This is like kind of a weird deep cut. For, um, you know. It is. You know how people talk about like when you get into vinyls or when you get into physical media, like you may like go to a record store and pick up a, a, a vinyl that you've never heard of before just because it's there and you want to give it a listen. I don't know. That was kind of me with After Hours and several of these movies. Uh, like I like physical media and when I see something that I can get for a decent price that is something I want to watch, it being on 4K on a physical copy like makes it jump up the watch list for me. So basically, I was able to get After Hours secondhand uh, for a decent price, and I just wanted to watch it. It's it's Criterion, it's Scorsese, it's got good ratings. Uh, Sean Finnessy loves it. 
um, big fan, five star <laughs> film uh, yeah. for for Sean Finnessy, and and so they talked about it on the big picture. They did the Scorsese Hall of Fame recently, and I don't know if it made the Hall of Fame or not. I can't remember, but uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I just find movies in places, dude. My watch list is crazy. It has very little rhyme or reason to what it is. It's all crazy, wacky things. Yeah, see, but, uh, mine's different. My watch list is different. It is, it is very curated. So I don't just say if you just recommend me after hours, like it's gonna mean something. Like you gotta truly recommend it. Kyle, I like it. That, that should mean list. something, right? <laughs> it means very little. Okay, well, let me tell you this, Kyle. <laughs> I recently watched Let the Right One In. Thought it was fantastic. I would not recommend you watch it. Okay. I recently watched Black Christmas. Thought it was fantastic. I would probably recommend you watch that. But out yeah, of all Christmas. three of those, I think After Hours is the one that I would recommend you watch the most. If that says anything. Okay. I don't right, know that it says you. anything, but I don't know, man. What do you want? It says me? enough. I just, that, that's what I wanted. Well, you got it. Take us to our featured topic, Kyle. All right. Our feature topic is going to be just kind of like a, a little fireside chat about Kickstarter crowdfunding uh bloat what we like what we dislike uh so tj or carnival in our discord posed a question um about a a couple weeks ago just asking people to give like okay how many kickstarters have you backed how many game founds have you backed uh your average longest wait time stuff like that so we're gonna get into that like i max i know you haven't backed a game in a long time Mm -hmm. um but we're gonna get into these these questions just give a little detail into like what we have done uh through crowdfunding and then I have some questions I just want to throw out there and just to s- make our comments on what we think might be an issue with crowdfunding and what we like about crowdfunding. So let's start with that. So the first thing is, how many games have you backed in total? Uh, that's Kickstarter, GameFound, Backer Kit, what have you. How many games have you backed in total? Twelve. Okay. When was your first uh, back? You didn't ask me to prepare this. And I, oh, I was not. just curious. No, yeah, I did uh, not ask you to prepare that. My first bank would have been uh, <sighs> the first bank that I actually Aeon Trespass Odyssey. Uh, I backed a couple at a one dollar level before that, but I didn't follow through with either of them. Um, Aeon Trespass Odyssey funded on September 30th, 2019. And that would have been my uh, first pledge that I actually like went through with. Got you. So 2019, mine was 2018. Um, I had 33. I've had I've I've backed 33 games since 2018. Um, so I'm averaging about seven a year. Is that including your one dollar backs or just? just I did backs? not include my one dollar backs. We'll get into that in a minute. Either. Okay. Well, my number is bigger than both years. Um, <laughs> combined. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so I, my first back was in 2013, actually. Um, oh, wow. I okay. Backed, I backed a, a version of Werewolf. You've been uh, around for I, a I'd long probably... time, Kenny. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but I'd say my actual, like, when I was actually into, like, the board game world, um, my first back was 2015, so I'd say probably about, like, eight years is my actual, how long I've been backing stuff for. Um, but I have 69 uh, fully, like, nice. Kickstarters. Well, actually, um, 73. No, don't change If it. I include... A game, well, yeah, I know. Uh, 73 if I include game found, um, like oh, okay. games I have actually fully purchased all the way through. So, all 12 um, of mine were Kickstarter, I've never backed outside of Kickstarter, but 
most of those didn't like start being a thing until 2021 ish when I was yeah, done stopped. back in Kickstarter. Yeah, you're done. Like GameFound has some good stuff. Great. Like, like too many bones and stuff, but like, yeah, you, you've just stopped. And like, honestly, uh, so have I for the most part. And you know what? I guess I we'll did get that back. A little bit. I forgot about uh, Kenny and I. I, it was on Kenny's pledge, which is why I forgot about it. But I did back Too Many Bones Unbreakable um, when it was gotcha. on GameFound through Kenny. We just saved Ooh, on shipping. True. Yep. He also did uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland expansion. Yeah, but I haven't got that yet either. And I was like 15 bucks. Yeah. But you're right. There are a couple that I've forgotten because Kenny and I try and save on shipping and, and merge up. So I've never backed on GameFound, but I guess I have backed like two things on GameFound. Through All right. So... Uh- a couple more stats I just want to run through. Not all of this stuff's going to be super interesting to talk about it, but I at least want to like touch on it and then yeah. we'll circle back if we need to. So uh, I mentioned I averaged seven games per year. Um, so I've backed a total of 33, as I mentioned. I only own 16 of those games still. Um, now, six of them have not arrived. And so I've given away 11 and I've owned 16. So like my hit rate on Kickstarters is just over 50%. Um, which was eye opening for me when I saw that, right? Um, and I, then backed games, games where I back, I pledged a dollar and did not follow through. Twelve, I have pledged a dollar to twelve campaigns and did not follow through. Kyle, I've pledged a dollar to thirteen campaigns and not Ooh, got followed me. through. Um, the um, only pledge, the only, the singular pledge that I have backed and still own is not even a game. It's a game. It's a game topper play mat. I own zero <laughs> board games that I have backed. Well, the game topper mat is like one of the best things you could back in my opinion. And it, yeah, it was very worth it, and uh, yeah, that's why I still have it. Um, now there is a game that I backed for like two dollars. That was a print and play that I haven't even printed out yet. So like, I guess I do still own it, but I don't own it. I don't know. Catch twenty two. Uh, but yeah, so I backed 12 games and I still own zero of them. I've sold all 12 of them. I've backed 13 at the $1 pledge level that I did not go through with. And I believe there's only one Kickstarter from several years ago that I've yet to receive that may or may not ever uh, come to fruition. But I'm just waiting on one at this point. Well, I, I got both of you beat again. Um, so the number of $1 backs I have um, is 49, uh, which is nice. quite a bit. Uh, so I, I'm a big fan of like backing for a buck, following along with it, and you know choosing at the last minute to back, um, which I'm sure like publishers love. Um, but <laughs> I find the, the flexibility of it I really find uh, good for the consumer. Um, the total so over the past eight years, my average is about like back, I've backed about nine per year. Um, I definitely have like had like. You know, peaks and valleys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like right now. I think I'm kind of like on the low end of that. Uh, though I've been backing a bit more recently. Uh, recently. Um, and yeah. So, but in terms of the games, like I've cold. I have. Well, I, I keep most of them, to be honest. Um, uh, I think I have about between Game Found and Kickstarter, uh, seven that I've cold. So I do keep the majority of them. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Now, would uh, you say like? Is that just because you don't like calling games or is it because those games are like truly special to you and you really do like owning them? Uh, I'm lazy. I don't want to call, call games. <laughs> and a lot of them are also just smaller. So like I just don't like, you know, like a $15, $20 game. I'm not going to go really go through the 
hassle of trying to uh, kick it to the curb, you know. Now, speaking of uh, 15 to $20 games, because um, I definitely, that's definitely how I started out. Um, I was like, I want to, I just want to do this to follow along. It'll be fun. It, I was in the, I was in the board game hobby for a little bit, like probably six months a year. And I was like, I want to do this once. It's a huge hubbub. So I backed the game for like $25. It quickly went away. What I find interesting though, and I did not ask you to prepare this max. And I don't know if Kenny prepared this or not, but I totaled up how much I've spent on kick kickstarters over the five years that I've been backing. I have spent $3,050 over five years. So essentially $600 a year, which comes out to be $50 a month. I have essentially had a $50 a month bill because of Kickstarter. And that <laughs> was not something I liked finding out about, about myself. Cause I felt like I, I felt like I backed so infrequently. I mean, compared to like others, Cause I hear people like talk about like, Oh, I back this, especially like dice tower, and like board game co. And they're always talking about these kickstarters. I'm like, I'm only back in like six a year. It's not that bad. But when I did the math on it and I found it was like $50 a month over the last five years, that was just truly eye opening. I just did the math live. So I'm sure there's some errors here. Um, but despite backing Frosthaven and Aeon trespass odyssey two big old games, as my first two backs, I've spent less than six hundred dollars. Yeah, that's started. pretty good. Uh, in fact, it was I was just five hundred, but I'm giving myself a hundred dollar leeway because I'm sure I missed something. Oh, like too many bones <laughs> unbreakable. So there you go. At about six hundred dollars, maybe a little more than six hundred dollars in totality on Kickstarter or on crowdfunding. Uh, so I didn't really do too much of the, I did like really, really rough math for it, but I think I came out to about, I spent about 60 bucks per month. Um, so a little bit over you, Kyle. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, I don't feel bad about backing stuff. Um, I feel like we're wrapping this all in like in shame, Kickstarter shame, but I, 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 you're, you're right. And like, if you have the money, like it's fine. And really like $50 a month on a hobby is like really not that big a deal um in my opinion but the thing is like i was also buying a ton of like games from the store too like i was buying a lot mm -hmm. of retail um and based on my coal rate on kickstarters i think is why i feel bad sure, uh, yeah. i was spending 50 dollars a month but then i was like getting rid of it almost immediately um because i either <laughs> was not excited about it anymore or i played it and it was not good um which yeah. we'll get into a little bit now to be also to be fair to me um, I've recouped a lot of that money when I sold it. Like there's, I've probably made half that money back, uh, just from selling the stuff. So, uh, you're, you're right. It's not a shameful activity. Like if you like backing Kickstarters and your number is higher than mine or higher than Kenny's, it's nothing to feel bad about. If it works for your situation. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> kidding. I promise. I promise. So, like, I agree with Kenny. I don't think. I we may be unintentionally wrapping this up in a negative manner, um, and I don't think it needs to be. Um, it's every it's every person for themselves in the sense that you have to make the decision of what you want to purchase, how much you want to spend, how much that affects your budget, how much that affects your life inside and outside of board games. Like this is not a one size fits all thing. I have not backed a board game 
basically since 2021, except for Too Many Bones Unbreakable, perhaps, and the expansion for Wonderland's War. Very little. Uh, and that works for me. And these days, I don't even peruse Kickstarter. And, like, it takes a lot for me to be intrigued enough to even check out a page, let alone to put a $1 pledge on it, let alone to follow through with that pledge. But that's just the way that I consume the hobby and the way that I consume these crowdfunding games. We don't play, I don't play enough games to, to back games regularly. Um, we get sent some games from publishers that I may have otherwise backed. So, of course, we have that uh, in, our, in our favor as well. Um, there, there are many different reasons and influences as to why I don't consume Kickstarter and crowdfunding games the way other people do, but there's not, yeah, we don't need to be looking at this like a, wow, guys, you spend $50 a month on Kickstarter. That's bad. You should get some help. Call 1-800-STOP-KICKSTARTER-NOW for some support. Like, no, we don't, it's not that. Yeah, that, that was not, I guess my, my, uh, my negativity was, was either. It was for myself. This is right. all personal, like, because I'm like, I'm in between, like, you and Kenny, whereas, like, I don't feel like I need to be into Kickstarter as much as I was, but I still do like doing it. I do want to back something every once in a while. I think there is fun to be had, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, that was just a little side note on the math I did that I was kind of just shocked by how much money I had spent over the five-year uh, five year span. I think the statistics are fun to look at, but I do think Kenny makes a valid point that we shouldn't paint this in a negative light. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'll say like, I, I, I back, I don't really buy a lot of retail anymore. Uh, there's not as many uh, game stores in the area that like have new releases for me to go ahead and get. I don't buy a lot of from game words um, or miniature market as often as I did. So Kickstarter has kind of become the thing of like where I do spend my board game money on. Um, gotcha. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes total sense. I think it was more for me is like, because I do have a really good local game store and I was going there like once every two weeks. Yeah. Um, and combining that with Kickstarter was just not, like, not necessary, you know. All right. Um, okay, so a few more things to point out if we want, if we want to go over. So uh, longest I've waited for a game to deliver had to be uh, Raccoon Tycoon. Um, that took a long time strictly <laughs> like because of covid strange okay 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 it was covid yeah like it was supposed to deliver like december of 2019 and then there was like a 16 month delay or something like that because of covid so uh so my longest back i'm gonna look it up um is a uh, manhattan project uh energy empire the cold war expansion um and this i are you, are you guys familiar with the situation here? Um, yeah, with, the good the yeah. guy passed away. Yeah, the, the designer of the game and the, the and the owner of uh, Minion Games uh, passed away. Um, so I thought, oh, well, I'm probably not getting that game, and I was like, that is fine. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, let's. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. I think the designer was uh, Tom Jolly, who passed away. Um, but yeah, um, that w- I think I backed that in twenty. That was like a f- three four year wait. Um, but I mean, I, I'm very grateful that someone, I think, uh, someone, I, I don't remember the name of the, co- the company that came and picked it up and bought the IP rights to like um, all of Minion Games. Uh, but they ended up fulfilling it, finished out the development for it. And uh, yeah, so I, I did eventually get that this year. Funnily enough, it was one of my first games back, but Ant Trespass Odyssey was also my longest that I waited for a game to deliver. Um, 
but uh, it was like uh, it was 2019 to 2023, so four years. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. was shocked when you said that was the first back you had because like that game just came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was four years wait. And then uh, the shortest that I waited for a game to deliver was not not print and play. Uh, I think was Rivet Heads, which is um, a game that uh, I backed because I like I, I followed the designer Tony Miller on Twitter. Um, Tony Mitch seems like a really good person. And it's just oh, he does uh, that Kabuto I Sumo, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, same person as Kabuto Sumo. And I just wanted to support his game. Uh, it's a game that arrived. I never actually played. I got rid of. But uh, New Mill Industries, I think, is the game is the publisher behind that. And they have like all their stuff ready to go, and they do everything in house. So I think it was less than three months by the time it, I backed it to by the time it arrived at my door. Uh, and this is like for a, a fully fledged game. But I'm pretty sure Tony Miller himself like got the pieces, stickered the pieces, put the cards in the shrink wrap, put it in the box, and mailed it out, like, himself. So it's it's interesting how they do it. It's much smaller, smaller industry for them, uh, how they handle that. But, yeah, it was it was great. It's it successfully funded in April of 2021, and I'm pretty sure I got it within a few months. Two games, I think, took a really long time. Or just, okay, there's, like, almost this... Uh, uh, backing or publisher philosophy um so awaken realms they do a thing where they do like two tier or two time uh shipments um so they did that with other fields and iss vanguard two games i did back and also cold pretty much right, right away and they it's it's one of those things i really regret not buying that first wave of those games because um i backed other fields in 20 like late 2020 and i didn't get it till like this year and by the time by now, like it's been all the hype has died. I think a lot of the excitement from the game has kind of washed away. And same thing with the ISS Vanguard. Like we got our uh, review copy, like I don't know, six months ago. <laughs> I'm still waiting on my um, <laughs> my my copy here. And you know, playing that 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 pro, like that review copy is like, well, I'm just gonna cold this. This is not for me. Um, and some of the things like the, the the like these long like lead times for delivery just kind of end up killing the hype for the game just like your mm-hmm. personal excitement for it so i i agree um and it's not a some of the time it's not a fault of the publisher right it's sometimes it's shipping crises especially sure. during the covid years like you couldn't do anything but like yeah if it, if it takes a long time and then reviewers get it before you and then the reviews are kind of bad like they were for etherfields like not a lot of like shut up and sit down did not give it a very good review um and you watch that and you're excited for it and you see somebody that you really trust and respect give a negative review you're like ah it really sucks the wind out of your sails yeah i i felt that way exactly by the other fields just like i backed it and then i think the shut up and sit down review came out of like a few days later i'm like oh no i made a mistake (laughs) (laughs) all right uh most expensive game and least expensive game so my most expensive game uh is one i do not own anymore uh and that was x-men united and I spent $295 on X-Men United. A very, very lightweight, uh, family weight game with just a ton of miniatures. Yeah. And I was all excited because I love Marvel. And I was mad I missed out on the Avengers one. So I went all in on the X-Men one. And as quick as it came, it left. <laughs> because it was a lot of money for a game <laughs> I was not playing. You know, it's funny because my most uh, expensive was also uh, Marvel United. All three of them, all three of the big ones. 
Um, but you know, I, I have kept, I have kept them all. I love it. So. Yeah. You, it makes sense for you, Kenny. You're a big, big yeah. time painting into them. And I think it makes more sense for your situation. That game was literally going to sit on my shelf an eighth painted for years. <laughs> if I didn't call it my, uh, most expensive was a trespass odyssey or frost haven i can't remember i didn't i didn't go back and look at this frost haven was actually pretty cheap yeah um, so was on trespass it. though i think i think frost haven and on trespass were right around the 140 mark um when when i purchased them so that was pretty good uh and least expensive was probably rivet heads i think was a 30 dollar game uh so the my, same answer my least expensive my was death valley uh, Death Valley was just a 18 card game. What's that? Uh, who does the 18 card games? Uh, button Shy. Yeah. Button Shy. Yeah. It's a Button Shy game. And I, li- it was $15. I literally only backed it because my fantasy football division uh, has been called Death Valley for years. And so when a game got released called Death Valley, I had to own it. That makes sense. Do you still have it? I do. Oh, I mean, good. it's a, okay. uh, it's a wallet size card game. Like, what am I going to do? How am oh, I going to so sell you, that? Like, you it's have just... it, but like you've lost it. Like, you don't even know where it is anymore. No. <laughs> No, I, know where it's at. I have one i have one uh button shy game that is tucked away where mo- mini games aren't and every time i see it i'm like oh yeah that exists <laughs> like, like, i have I played it too it. did you play yours no i don't even know what it is i think it's frolopolis <laughs> maybe the good one I, i'd have to go look yeah. i know where it is i don't know what it is i see the wallet but i, I don't like look at the cover i have no idea not a clue Kenny, what about your least expensive? Um, my least expensive probably is um, probably is a button shy game. So I won't, I won't talk about a button shy game. But there's actually a game called Beer Garden. This came out I don't know 2016 or so. Uh, it's basically like a I don't know, like a tile laying game about making like a a German beer fest. You know, it's like perfect. It was sure. like a very small publishing, uh, like a first time publisher, first time designer type thing. Um. So I was mostly into the theme, and it was just super low price point, like I think like fifteen bucks. So fair enough. All right, well, last few, uh, last few quick stats here before we get into the more subject uh, level stuff. Um, so I'm gonna go over the games I'm happiest I backed, uh, game I regret backing, and game I regret not backing. So the game I'm happiest I backed was it has to be Castles of Burgundy Deluxe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a game I loved. It's a game that I think. Uh, deserves that deluxification i think it was worth every penny uh the game i regret not backing um this was kind of hard to come up with but uh i'm gonna have to go with the the trove chest for too many bones um just because it's very hard to get now who knows if it'll ever come back in print um it's not even something that like i i need per se but i do want because i really do enjoy that game uh and then the game i regret backing there there are a lot uh i do have to say marvel united is my biggest regret and it's simply because of this one, it was the most money, but, but two, like it had already had an addition out and I had already seen the reviews. I had already known what the game played like. Mm-hmm. I, I should have known better. And I, I just fell into the trap of the FOMO essentially. Like I, I knew what it was. I knew the game was not for me. There was no reason to spend that amount of money on it. Um, and even though I was able to sell it and get back all of that money back uh, without a, like, any loss, uh, I still regret that because that was just more of like, uh, what are you, what are you doing? That was <laughs> not one you should have even looked at. Yeah, if I'm looking at the games that I'm the happiest I backed, uh, it's probably either Frosthaven, or it'd be Aeon Trespass Odyssey because I made 
a decent profit off that. Um, <laughs> or like Crash Octopus, I think, which is a uh, foreign game that's like a, it's a dexterity game, really bright, pretty colors, really unique table presence. And I don't own it anymore, but I would own it if Doolin didn't purchase it off me. Like it's one of those that he bought because he thought he could play with his family uh, quite a lot. Yeah. And so I let it go to Doolin. But I probably wouldn't have called it just to call it um, because I do think that that's a really unique game. And when I look at the games that I'm the most happiest that I backed, it's the either the ones that I made a profit off of, which isn't many. I didn't I wasn't someone who backed games to sell uh, or the ones where it was like a small publisher that I really feel like my dollar mattered, like that it really helped fund that game. Yeah. Uh, the ones that I regret backing or not backing um, none really. I can't there's I don't really have any games that I'm like man I wish I backed that uh, and then games that I regret backing my answer was basically all of them but not really like I probably I would be perfectly happy if I never backed a board game because none of the games that I've backed have really done a lot for me but that's just been my style um, but didn't you have like fun with it like as backing it there was like there's gonna be some joy that you got out of like following along with it and the anticipation of it delivering and i don't know when i treat kickstarter differently when i back a game i i kind of forget about it i i don't have any email updates turned on um i just it just arrives at my door and i'm happy when it's like oh i forgot i ordered this two years ago like i don't really get into the anticipation side of it uh, or following along the project updates or anything like that. Um, it's just nothing that I've I've ever really done. Um, I don't. I mean, I I think Kickstarter has a place for many people, but it's just never really been a big part of my hobby about how I play and consume board games. Um, but I don't regret backing any of them, even if they're not for me. I mean, you looked at my stats. I have zero games of the twelve I've backed or whatever. But I don't really regret them. Like I think I backed them for the right reasons at the time, and my I my situation changed, and I moved on with them. And most of them weren't games that I like sold for a wild profit and gouged someone else. I kind of just moved on from them. And someone else I, I rarely sold game for a profit. It's always been to get recoup my money because yeah. I didn't want it anymore. I think Ann Trespass is the only one that I've sold for a profit, and that's because it's like it blew up, and I only paid a hundred and thirty for it or whatever, and people were buying it for like three hundred. I think I sold mine for like two fifty or something. I don't know. Um, biggest one I made profit off of was almost like Black uh, Black Plague. Um, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because I backed a lot of the add-ons that were hard to get after. So like I made my money like that basically paid for my Marvel Zombies per like all in purchase basically. So, um, I definitely made money there. Uh, which which was nice. Um, because I was kind of over Black Plague at that point. Um. So I'll say my happiest back was Marvel United, um, mostly because it kind of delivered at a good time for me. Uh, it was, came, I think, like summer of 2021, and I just needed something to do. Um, mm. So that was like uh, kind of like the perfect time for that game to arrive. So I'm, I'm very happy I backed it because uh, it kind of set me back on like a painting journey for me, the mini painting journey. Um, for, We're all thankful for, for that. Oh, thank you. Um for the regret not backing again i i i'd agree there's not a lot that i actually do regret backing because like the stuff that like i back that I, I do regret backing i can usually hop on a late pledge or else get it after the fact so there's not a lot of regret that i have there if i had to pick one it'd probably be hellboy the board game 
mostly because like if you're gonna buy it at retail now it's like very very expensive um but where if you like especially if you want to get like the kickstarter stuff like it's pretty uh exorbitant but uh but even then i'm not like chomping at the bit to get it um so for in games that are grab backing um iss vanguard and other either fields like i think it's just like i don't know why i backed them because like i knowing myself now i know that those are like big campaign games that will probably never get played um so I, i'm not sure right i think i backed them because i backed them like in 2020 2021 i thought well I need some solo games to get me through. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely. Years. I'm with you there. <laughs> but like, uh, you know, as, as things like kind of shifted and changed, I'm like, this is not for me. Um, like, cause like I, I like big campaign games, like a story based ones, but I, I have Arkham Horror in my life. I don't really need anything else. So, uh, but I, and some guy had an extra category here. The happiest $1 back I made that I didn't back all the way. Lords mm-hmm. of Ragnarok. Sorry, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. What a shot at me, Kenny. That was <laughs> dirty. <laughs> yeah, that game. That game, huh? Yeah, I'm yeah, trying to think. What is game. my... Maybe Mythwind or Hoplomachus Victorum? The games that I backed at a dollar and then decided, nah, I'm better off without it. That's probably there are, it. I mean, there are too many for me to go back. On. I mean, I only backed 12, I guess. But yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. No. All um, right, so... um. We got we went through some of our personal stats there. Uh so real quick, what what are your general thoughts on the state of crowdfunding as they as they stand today? Um it is a a big part of our hobby uh to say the least. Even if Max like you don't like dive it, delve into it too much. It's been a while since I've backed a game and don't know if I'll back a game in a while. I came close um to backing a game this week and I decided against it. Uh we'll get into that I guess in a, in a few minutes, but what are your general thoughts on the state of crowdfunding? And Kenny, I want to start with you, um, just because I think you like, are you back, backed more than us? So I just want to get your thoughts on the state of crowdfunding as it stands right now. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. Like, I think like, like what I wanted in crowdfunding, you know, five years ago versus now is like very, very different. I think like five years ago, I just wanted all the stuff, right? Like I wanted to back the seam on Kickstarters. It gave me uh, the base game the deluxe deluxe uh uh sequel and then 20 add-ons with like a bunch of miniatures and then the plastic bits and then like the cardboard whatever right um i find like in terms of like what i want now is much different i kind of want like like stuff to be in one box super deluxify just very like smart decisions with like what what is offered uh, and i don't necessarily want all the stuff because i don't know if you guys have kind of gone through this but like I've gotten multiple Kickstarters where it's just like boxes and boxes and boxes of stuff. And it just becomes a very overbearing to actually, to actually even want to get it to the table just because it's just, there's so much stuff when in reality, you're probably just going to play the base game, uh, repeatedly. Um, so in terms of like, like what I want from Kickstarter, it's changed a lot. To like, I kind of want stuff like Castles of Burgundy. I kind of want like stuff like Zuvatis, like games that are just like really strong game. Uh, base game um yeah. really nice components and just like you, you, like a, a game that can like last for years and years and years like th- these are, those are games i don't think i'm going to get rid of just because like i think like the production was like executed perfectly the games are great um and so it's just like games i don't think i'm ever going to get rid of um and like like i still enjoy backing stuff on kickstarter like i i like i don't really follow with it a lot week to week update to update 
but I just I enjoy like you know the, the anticipation of like waiting to get a game and to getting like you know that uh tracking information to know that oh next week I'll be part of the cool kid club I'll have this new Kickstarter game um even though I don't back as much as I used to like I still enjoy that excitement like I'm I'm ready and waiting for Marvel Zombies to actually deliver so I can, oh man like, I can't wait to dive into all that stuff um but although that's like I, kind of against what we've been we were just like talking about like there's boxes yeah. of stuff like that is definitely yes a but like, I feel, that's game. like the I think it's like the like I I basically reserved for only for Simon at this point um uh, then because they because I know they do it even though they they do it they do it well like uh and I can I know I can like kind of scrunch everything down to a couple of boxes at least but yeah because I, I think like there, there's like a big shift like in crowdfunding too like i think like more and more like people like i don't know a few years ago uh kickstarter campaigns are all about like these big campaigns with like a lot of these um uh, multiple expansion boxes stuff like that and i think like people are kind of getting away from that like there's just not as much of an audience for it nowadays um from what i've noticed yeah i uh (laughs) this may come like this may be weird and I'm certainly not as uh, qualified to talk about this as a lot of people, but I think crowdfunding is great. I think it's a really good thing to have. I think it opens doors for people that wouldn't be able to produce these games otherwise. Funnily enough, I'm not like anti Simon by any means, but I feel like of most of the people, like uh, of the companies that, quote-unquote, abuse crowdfunding, they would be near the top as far as these companies that I think could and maybe even should produce these games regardless of that, regardless of a crowdfunding state. Now, I know you look at Chip Theory Games, you look at CMON, you look at Awakened Realms, and they produce these big, massive games, and their overhead is probably huge. So they need the commitment from the customer. And I get that. Um, I do think that like maybe a pre-order system would be in order because I do think that the fact that Kickstarter is really full risk to the customer is a downside. Like there's no obligation of the company to follow through. Obviously, if obviously if they don't like they're going to receive backlash and their company will probably fail if they just straight up don't. But you look at mythic games right now, who's a company that I think has lost every ounce of goodwill that they ever once earned. They have games that will likely never come out. They're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. They're doing crowdfundings to afford to finish their previous crowdfunding games. Um, And I don't know if we'll see the last few games that they've crowdfunded. And it's a shame that that is allowed and that exists and that is predatory to customers. So on one hand, crowdfunding is a real good thing that allows people like Ice Makes Games to produce Terrascape, which is a fantastic game that I wholeheartedly recommend and am very happy to have seen succeed on Kickstarter. And then there are people like Mythic Games, which really puts a sour taste in the mouth of me, and I don't even back these games. And, okay, so I'll say, like, Mythic Games separately is just a shit show from, you know, it's that's just a bad situation. Like, I think, like, for companies like CMON or just, like, these other bigger companies that you think just have, could do these games without, like, Kickstarter, is, 
like I don't know like why you wouldn't do Kickstarter if you're in their in their position because oh, you absolutely like, should marketing exactly it's a marketing tool. I yeah. agree. I just don't think um, I don't know that I agree that that is correct. They should do Kickstarter. There's zero downside for them to do Kickstarter. Yeah. It's free marketing. It's zero risk on their part. It's incredible. But should they or should there be limits? And I don't have the answer. This is not me being like, Simon should get out of the Kickstarter game. They're dumb. It's too bad. Get out of here. They shouldn't rely on it anymore. I'm not saying that. But I do think it's a conversation to have and something to look at. And I am not the expert at crowdfunding. But it does. I do wonder if like if that's good, that they have no reason not to use it. See, I don't, I don't have a problem with Kickstarter in general. Um, I, I agree with you, Max, that it is great to have people have a chance to make something they love. They have a chance to share their passion product, uh, project. Um, but I'm the opposite of you in that I have no problem in come on being on there at all. Um, I don't think we have a Kickstarter problem. Um, I think it's a consumer problem. Uh, if anybody complains about come on or about mm-hmm. Kickstarter or about the bloat, it's because that's what the consumer is asking for. They would not be doing this if people weren't buying it. Um, and maybe people, maybe somebody's going to disagree with me on that, but, uh, I'm not going to disagree con- with you that they wouldn't do it if people don't buy it, but I still think it's predatory in many ways. I mean, as much as any business is trying to make money. Uh, I guess the, it is free marketing and I don't, and like little risk, but I guess for me, when I'm looking to back a game, I am more likely to back a come on game than somebody who's doing a passion project. Um, because of that, all the risk being on the consumer, I would rather be a company that I know is delivering and uh, like it or not, come on, usually delivers on time. Um, and they're usually, and they have shipping costs. Yeah. Everybody has shipping costs. Like their shipping costs are huge because they're delivering 30 pounds of miniatures. Um, I, I guess I'm just, I'm way more likely to back something of a company I know or a designer I know than I am, uh, a newcomer. And I know that's not what Kickstarter is for, but that's what I'm more comfortable doing. Because I think it's safer for me as the consumer to do that. I think that's fine too. Yeah, I think like Kickstarter is not its original intent anymore of being for the little guy with an idea. Like that stuff just happens infrequently at at this point. Like they're usually, especially in the war game space, they're big companies with money, um, with enough money to like get a game across the finish line. Um, But it is just at this point, it's just fully a marketing machine of like, how can you drum a pipe? How can you like uh, pitch your pitch your product to the audience, right? Um, so it, it just I I find there's like less and less cases of like these backing a passion project for the little guy, or or, or in cases where they actually find success, you know. My biggest concern, I yep. think, is just companies preying on FOMO for people. And you're right, Kyle. It is in to an extent a consumer problem because they wouldn't do it if people didn't fall for it but at the same time that doesn't necessarily mean that like just because it's working doesn't necessarily mean it's right and again i i really want to make sure i clarify that i'm not taking a a hard or fast this is wrong this is bad stance just a explorative talk on it but like i remember when i put a dollar down on borderlands the game i love borderlands the board game and that was one of the first pledges i've ever seen where unless you got the deluxe edition, you didn't even get the stretch goals, like, at all. 
Like if I just got the normal edition, I didn't get the stretch goals at all. And I was like, well, that's really dumb. And I'm not going to back it. So I didn't back the game at all. And then you have well, see, that's the, And that's the right decision, though. That's the right decision. Like, if you don't like something, just don't back Agreed. it. You got to vote with your wallet. I agree. But that in doesn't the, mean that like, I still don't think that that absolves any and all problematic things from, from the company. I mean, you look at CMON, they are the FOMO kings. They are the people who pack so many exclusive things into this. Pack certain, like, timed things, like early bird things. And you have to be here at this time or back in the first 48 hours and you get this and they'll say, Oh, the all in is $300, but the all in's not $300. The all in is $800 after you add everything that they can possibly give you in an add on. It's not an all in things like that. Just really kind of grind my gears. And I like Simon as a company. I am not a Simon hater. I think Simon has fantastic games. I am not opposed to them using Kickstarter as this machine that just crunches out games. And like you said, they are consistent. They deliver. Their quality is higher than the majority of companies out there. Like they may have some lows, but for the most part, like Simon doesn't miss from a, is this game good standpoint? The game may not be fantastic, yeah, that's right. but they don't really like have any, any sore spots on their record as far as like, wow, that game sucks. Like almost yeah, all of their games are good. good and they work with yeah. these designers that are, veterans and they are tenured and they have the experience i this is not a crap on simon show this is not a talk that i'm saying simon is bad and you should hate them for what they do it's not that at all i just it, it they are the most prominent they are the figurehead of the community that's going to get the brunt of the kickback because that's who they've become these days well and i wouldn't even say it's like they're they do it the best or they do it the most it's just they've they created the template by yeah. which everyone else follows. Agreed. Because um, I think like the, the what they do is very standard nowadays, and I think like everyone else does it. I think like there are companies that are worse about it, and but I think just people attribute it to Simon just because like of that Zombicide, uh, that very first Zombicide of just like setting the pace for like all of these other things, like the stretch goals and the all ins and the, that stuff was kind of like put in place then, and it's become when people saw how much money that was making, uh, became just like a standard in the industry. Yeah, and I think stretch I goals think, are like a very good thing. I'm not opposed to that. I I think that there are people that take it up a level where it becomes bothersome and it becomes problematic. But like I have no problem with you offering incentive to to back at the time of like pre-ordering. Like that's I it's hard to have this conversation because I am riding the fence and I I feel like I am playing devil's advocate here, but I really don't like hate these things. But I think they are worthy of discussion, and I don't necessarily think that it's something that we should just become, what's the word, we should just settle, we should just become comfortable with everything that's happening. Like, I do think there are things that can be improved upon that we should look at, but. So, my last point on Kamal is like, so Kenny, I'm with you 100% on like, uh, getting three or four boxes or something is just, when I was if you would have asked me two years ago what I wanted out of Kickstarter, it was something like that. It's like, if I'm backing something, I want to back something like I want to get, I want it to be a couple hundred dollars and I want it to be just stuff upon stuff upon stuff. And it's got all this. And like, I couldn't be further from that now. And come on, definitely does that. And it's like, you do it once. I think that's enough. And like, I've done it. Like Ankh is a game that I really enjoy. And I do play a, a fair amount. Um, not a ton, but I do play it a few times a year. Um, And it's like, a game I love and it's hard to like 
dive into all that stuff. It sucks to organize. Um, it sucks to set up. Uh, Lords of Ragnarok is a game that sucked to set up. It's a game that sucked to get all the stuff out. And we were just playing the base game and it was annoying. Um, I'm worried about it with Marvel Zombies uh, a little bit. And I did not go all in. I just got the base game in the X-Men uh, box. So it's I'm with you now. Whereas like when I'm backing a, a game, uh, I'm not looking for that. I would much rather have like a base game. Uh, really what I'm looking for is I either want it to be an expansion to a game I already enjoy. Or I want it to be a deluxified reprint of a game that I know is popular. Like if, like House of the Burgundy. Or if like El Grande was kickstarted and it was a beautiful version, I would probably back that. Um, that's more of what I'm looking for. I want just prettier versions of good games. Yeah, yeah. that also worries, like, I don't know. I also like new things. It's funny because we talk about, like, on a movie and board game podcast, you're talking about like, oh, I'm excited for remakes of old things. And I don't disagree with you in board games because like Castles of Burgundy, Zuvatus, Kalamala, Amon Ray, some of my favorite gaming experiences of the past year are games that I missed. But at the same time, like you look on the movie side and it's like, God, I want more original things. That's I true. don't want to see Exorcist Believer. I want to see Talk to Me, or I want to see Killers of the Flower Moon. Like, give me new and unique things. I'm just, it's so funny that it's so opposite, because I don't want rehashes of the same old, old movies when it comes to movies. I want new ideas, and I want the same in board games, which is what I'm afraid of, is that we're going to only accept, like, oh, deluxified remakes and not, we'll see. not help fund these new exciting ideas. But I mean, I'm not back. I'm sorry. Part of it is, I I think some of these new games, though, like are just missing the plot of what we want. They want, they think we want like a campaign and it's got to be co-op mode and it's got to be competitive mode and it's got to have a solo mode and uh, you got to have 400 expansions with it. And it's like, I think they're missing the plot of the new stuff we want. I don't think we want all of that stuff Mm -hmm. necessarily. Now it looks shiny, uh, and we're like, oh, I, you got to back now because if you don't back now, you're not getting those two expansions. Um, whereas it's just, it is a little different with movies, I, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think like with uh, Kickstarter games, at least, like I think like I'm I'm okay with not backing like the newness or just backing a, a game purely for ideas because if the game is good it'll have another Kickstarter <laughs> then you can back then like the cream rises to the top and like they, I do find like they are successful because there's, there, there's just so many Kickstarter games out there that are just like first time designers are just bad. Um, there's just, there's a lot of crap out there. So I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I do tend to back the same companies over and over again because I know at least they'll deliver and I'll get a standard of quality that I'm expecting um it's hard much harder for me to like back like games um from like you know new companies first time designers just because like i just don't have the the faith you know (laughs) i mean because like i like i think max and i are about to be burned or could be burned on a kickstarter we backed like a year Mm -hmm. ago that is real doubtful seems sketchy if it's going to fulfill or not um and just being in a position like that like kind of makes you take take a step back and evaluate like who are you going to put your money into and 
reinvest mm-hmm. into. So in, like, I think like the new games that are doing cool things, they're going to have another Kickstarter. You'll still, you'll have that chance to I, get that game still. I guess know? that's just my worry is that they don't. I think you're right for the most part. I look at, you know, Guards of Atlantis 2 that had a very small print run super fun mm-hmm. successful and is coming it did come back for a second crowdfunding and and i'm glad that it did but like for everyone that does how many don't and but i don't know uh, how that, many of those are actually the, good about, right yeah it's like that's well, no, I, I specifically mean uh, how good many good ones don't i don't think that's a, a fact i don't think it's a fact that every good game gets reprinted and i think i think we have enough though that if you miss out on one good game you'll be okay <laughs> Well, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's board games. It's not the end of the world. So I want I want to go back. So I mentioned I was very close to backing a game this past week, and I actually had uh, I was talking with Kenny quite a bit this last week about this specific game. Um, and I was this first part of this topic. I was I've been talking up Kickstarter. I think it's a good thing, and I've been I mentioned one of the things I like is a company that I know and a designer that I know. Uh, so the game I've been thinking about backing is Cascadero by Reiner Knizia. Uh, which you can also get the uh, Zuvatas Deluxe uh, with that. And uh, Bitewing game is great. The game looks beautiful. It's the you know, tool artwork. Rainer Knizia is a great designer. It has everything that I'm looking for when I'm backing a Kickstarter. And I did not back it for one reason. It'll be in retail. So why do I need to pay shipping when I can get it in retail and support my local game store as well? Um, probably for a similar price that it's going to be. Um, cheaper. so that's yeah, prob- or cheaper. And it's, that's where it comes to the question. Like, what does a Kickstarter need to have to get you to back it? Because Cascadero, I think that's how, how what it's called. Cascadero has everything I'm looking for in a game when backing, but it did not have enough to get me to back, to pre-order it, it essentially. Because I know it'll be in retail. FOMO enough. It didn't. It's like, what What does it need to have for me to want to back it? And this is for a personal decision. Like, Kenny says he's still backing it, and I think, I and I completely get it, Um, but does it need to get to you early? Does it need to have an expansion? Does it ha- need to have screen-printed meeples? Does it need to have some type of deluxification you can't get elsewhere? I think for me, in the case of Cascadero, because I did back it, um, is the, 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 the deluxification aspect. Like, I think it's just you never know what you're going to get at retail and I would prefer to have the nice bits, you know, I'm, I'm being like, I that. usually would too. Yeah. So I think that's kind of why I backed it just to get like, even if it's like <clears throat> fairly marginal in terms of what is better, um, from version to version, uh, I still will back it as well. It, especially if it's from the publisher, like by games, like I know it will, will deliver a high quality and they will deliver the game. And like, you know, especially from the design ped- pedigree, like Reiner Knitty, I'm like, well, yeah okay oh that's that's it's easy back for me even though he's made like 700 games yeah but this this should be a good one <laughs> no, I, I did watch the playthrough it, it does seem like a pretty good game um and i think the reason uh i was going to back it also was to get the zuvatis or zuvatis deluxe and i was like talking to you guys I was like so what is part of the deluxe and it's just like a couple of chips aren't cardboard and they're like, <clears throat> they're like ceramic or they're resin or something instead of being like the cardboard. And I think it had thicker cardstock on the, on the screens. And I was just like, is that enough for me to spend not only an extra $25 on Zuvatis, mm-hmm. 
but an extra $50 on another game. And it, it just wasn't there for me. Um, and I just think I'm becoming more uh, selective as a consumer. Also, a year ago, I would have backed it. I would have hit back the first day I saw the page and I would have forgotten about it until it got delivered. Mm-hmm. And I'm just being trying to be more thoughtful these days, I think, with what I'm backing. And so you just got to have something special to it, I think, for me. And it didn't quite ha- get all the way there. It was like 95% there on that one. Yeah, I don't know that. I, I don't know what it takes for me to back games these days. Um, and I think it's, I think I just don't for the most part. And maybe that's because it requires FOMO and then I feel bad. And then I'm like, nah, I don't need it. But like, I'm with you, like Kickstarter. I'm glad Kickstarter is a thing, but the vast majority of these games you can wait for reviews on or you can get them later. And for the same or less cost that you would pay on the crowdfunding, not have to worry about shipping, something like that. I think really it's just games that you don't think are going to come to retail. And then you're like, okay, this is my chance. But even still, you have secondhand market. Even still, you have the possibility of them running a second campaign. So like, it's just, it's very, I don't know. It's just hard. It's hard. It's difficult for me to know what it would be, what it would take for me to back a game these days. So I did just recently receive a game called Age of Comics, um, which I, I backed simply because, well, Jeff and Jamie reviewed it. Uh, they did a little Kickstarter or a preview for it. They did a Kickstarter preview for it. And Jeff said he thought I would like it. Um, but I, I backed it simply because of the theme being comic books. Uh, it's, a, it's not by a big publisher. I don't know who the designers are. I w- would be shocked if it came to retail. So that's like one of those games where I could I backed simply because of the theme and it wasn't coming to retail. Mm. I think that was enough to do it for me. So it's got to be it's got a it's got a very small window. It's got a very small window for me these days. Sure. That's fair enough. Um do you guys think publishers owe anything to people that back the games? Uh we get a lot of hubbub uh in the Discord that I've noticed in like all these people, the publishers are selling this at Gen Con. I haven't even got my copy yet, or it's going to retail and I haven't got my copy. This is bull crap or all shipping's $30. I was, why am I paying double the price for the game and shipping? Um, do you think the publisher owes something to the Kickstarter backer? Yes, but I think the only thing they owe is transparency. And that means that if in the Kickstarter page, they're like, you will get this first. Back this game if you want to get this first. And then they back down on that. And if they have a good reason, whatever, sure, whatever. But that that does feel bad. If they promise your availability first and then sell it otherwise. I have no problem with games coming out and delivering to people at conventions or on retail before you even get it Kickstarter, because I really don't think you should need to be like tracking on these games. Like if you want to support a game, support it. And then it shows up when it shows up. Like that's kind of what I'm about. But I think that transparency and just like actual effort is what I think is owed to their customers. Like we all know of people and companies who, lack both of those or one or the other as far as not actually trying to put out the game that they promised or 
being completely in the dark for years upon years, and neither of those are acceptable. Um, now, it's not like they have anything they can do. There's no, there's no legality contract that people could be like, oh yeah, well they did this, so I'm gonna get my money back. That's Kickstarter, baby. Sorry about it, but I don't think they really owe them much. It's just those few things. Like I would never begrudge anyone who get who gets upset about that because like it it sucks. I mean, I understand like why as a publisher you you may have to do that just because you, at the end of the day you got to keep your company afloat. You have to make sure you're bringing you money. Um, but also as as a on the other side of it, like as consumer, it feels bad if you like if you don't get what if you don't get their stuff first. It just knowing how much you time and money you put into it. Yeah, I get it. Um, I don't tend to begrudge it personally but um i understand from like why people have those feelings so. sure but i think like the max said it's very valid like i think as long as like there's transparency and like understanding of like what you're getting and what you should expect i think that can curtail a lot of these like issues yeah i think you're you're right max transparency is the number one i i for one do not care if a game gets put on a target shelf six months before it delivers to me um, but you're, it is based on like, if they promised that the kickbackers are getting it first and yeah, live to that promise. But most Kickstarters don't, Agreed. most Kickstarters yeah. are not saying we're guaranteeing you first dibs on this game. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the people get lost that complain about it is like, they expect as backers that they're getting it first. Like they get first dibs and that's not always the case. Um, but transparency does go a long way. Uh, I forget what the game was that I, I had backed. Um, but they had sent out a a survey to the backers actually and said, Hey, um, we know you backed this game. Uh, we got a couple shipments in. We really wanted that Gen Con though. So we can keep the company or because uh we just we rely on those Gen Con sales. So can we take this shipment we got to Gen Con instead of sending it out to you? Like they surveyed every backer. That was awesome to receive. Cause you're just like, wow. Uh, yes of course take it to gen con right like we understand like you're a small company you need to make that money gen con is a huge thing for board game publishers um but they still gave everybody the choice and then you know when you send something out like that you know what people are going to say no very rarely are you going to get overwhelmingly negative responses no give me that game like that would be bizarre to happen no oh, but sure just sending out that survey like <laughs> yeah. what's that i'm sure it does like we talk we're talking about the companies here but like i think most people that consume kickstarter are perfectly reasonable people but yes, my definitely. god at least 10% of the people 5% of the people are terrible consumers like <laughs> yeah like like if awful. you look like uh, if you look at some of the bigger kickstarters like the comment section it's like i i cannot fathom the depths of uh like uh, people just like obsess over some of these kickstarters like uh, like a simon kickstarter like their their comment section is like in the hundreds of thousands it just gets crazy yeah it's ridiculous we're buying toys people <laughs> it's not that big a deal <laughs> yeah i don't i don't understand how people can ha cannot have like a modicum of respect for this the the social media workers the person responding to the kickstarter the people in the emails like bro come on like these are people uh, this isn't ai we're talking to like it's crazy. lost on people and i don't know i don't know how we got there to where we just treat people 
and I'm using the royal we. Obviously, we're not going to be like this. Um, treat people like they're not people because a game is shipping six weeks later than it, we thought it would is just absurd to yeah. me. Um, you're you're right. It most I I would think even like our listeners like we don't get a ton of like complaints like uh bitching and complaining in our discord about this stuff like it's not even like our audience it's just the people in the comment section did you know there's an entire channel in our discord called like bitch about kyle but i made sure that you didn't have the right to see it (laughs) what Mm -hmm. that's my favorite channel yeah mine too it's popping dude (laughs) (laughs) it's popping we all hate Ohio. It's crazy that you had to create that channel since I get it in every other one already. It's like, <laughs> just bleed over. Yeah, just bleed. Like, it was accidents. It was accidents. <laughs> uh, okay, last last question for you guys. Um, how much of board game blue in general is affecting crowdfunding uh, for for you personally and for like the hobby? Do you think? Because we are in a, a pool. We are in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Some people have said of, of board games. For me, it's a lot. Because I don't play near the amount of games that many other gamers do. And so I certainly don't need to be buying that many games. And I certainly don't need to be backing that many games. Like, it's just like a funnel. And fun, funnel may be a poor, a poor way to, to phrase this, but... I only have so many spoons to play these games. Let's say I play two games a week. I have a shelf that's 100 games. There's thousands of games readily available for me to go purchase right this very moment from brick-and-mortar stores or online. And then there's thousands more on Kickstarter that are coming every single week. Like, I don't even browse Kickstarter anymore. I don't even pull open Card House and see what's new or browse Board Game Geek at the hotness much anymore. And I realize this is me and me alone here. I'm only speaking for myself. But for me, my mindset of the board gaming hobby has changed so drastically in the past year where I'm so happy and content to play the games that I already have on my shelf or that are on my friend's shelf and feel so little need to go out and acquire new ones. I, I just spoke about how I bought three games yesterday. Just true. That's the first game I that's the first day that I've bought games in a long time, other than the other movie based game. I think that in general I'm just scaling back so hard because I'm having such a blast playing Inish several times, or Cosmic Frog yep. several times, and Zuvatis several times. And I'm having way more fun playing these games that I already know and enjoy than I am trying new things. Now, Zuvatis was new to me. Inish was new to me. So this isn't like a don't try new games or don't buy new games. I would have never played Zuvatis if it weren't for Kenny backing that or however you got it, Kenneth. I don't know. But like, this isn't anti-get new stuff, but this is just anti-avalanche of new stuff. Like, I'm perfectly happy to get new things and then play those new things but i feel absolutely not an ounce of desire to go out and acquire 10 games here and back four more here and pre-order three more here and it's just so bloated and like 
I love that the options are available for people. But for me and how I consume the hobby, I'm so happy to revisit these games that I know and love and try new games that are tried and true, like Inish and Zuvatus and stuff like that, that have happened and had the success in the reviews. And I feel so little need to to sprinkle on some unknowns. But again, this isn't anti-new games. This isn't anti-crowdfunding. It's just... Me personally, I've had such a 180 over the past year that it's almost whiplashy. Um, but I know that's just me and and how I've been doing it. So I know that that is not a one size fits all blanket that applies to everyone. Um, I mean, I still I still like backing stuff on Kickstarter. I think because like so I think I mentioned earlier, like most of the gift stuff I buy now is most of my board game money is to Kickstarter. Um, because I. I, I enjoy the the hotness of of you know seeing like what is the new stuff down the pipeline. I think a part of that too is because I don't want a game. I don't really necessarily need a new game right now. I'm perfectly fine getting a game, a good game, a year from now because uh, I have like plenty to play at the moment. And yeah. like Max said, like I'm I'm a, I'm perfectly content playing games multiple times to uh, kind of you know really experience the the depths of it. So it's almost like Kickstarter is just kind of like a, a a way for me to kind of like put money into the hobby for future enjoyment, but I don't necessarily need it now, now, now. Right. So it's funny because I think we're all three in agreement, but we come at it from different ways because I'm, I'm with you. The bloat has affected me a lot to where I'm like Max, where I don't want to back very many Kickstarters. Uh, but I'm not like Max in that I still want to potentially get new stuff. I still look at BGG every once in a while, and I still will go to Guard Tower and I'll browse. Um, and like you, Kenny, I was like, I don't need anything right now uh, for sure. And that's really what made me open my eyes to to stop backing Kickstarters. I was looking at my shelves and I was like, man, I want to play like 20 of these games right now. I would love to play 20 of these games. And if I get something in the mail, like, that's just another thing that goes on the list of, like, things I want to play, or that gets in the way of things I want to play right now. So, it's like, I got to stop backing. Uh, and really, I, I haven't really been buying retail a lot either, but I'm more likely to do that um, just because uh, it does have that kind of, like, enjoyment right away. Uh, I'm getting that hot, that endorphin rush immediately, I guess. Um uh, there's another point so like i want to play the games i have now much like max and much like you but i approach it from a different way of like when i'm looking for new stuff i don't look towards kickstarter i'm looking towards a retail store uh and it was getting so bad where i was like buying games from a retail store and kickstarter that like every week one of my friends would come over and like oh is that a new game I, and i'd be like almost ashamed like yeah hmm. that's a new one and it's like, oh, did you get that? I'm like, yeah, that came in from Kickstarter this week. And it was like every week. And I was like, man, they weren't even like judging me on it. But I was like judging myself through them. And I was like, yeah, that's a new one. <laughs> and I just want to be like, don't you want to play Scythe? Yeah, let's, let's play Scythe, which I've had for five years instead of uh, getting a, another new game. I want a new game every now and again, not every week like I had been. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you slow down Kickstarter, like I have, and that game shows up, it's going to be more special, I think, for me. I would love for that package to come, like, 
once a year or twice a year instead of like getting something every other week. I think I just look at the games that I already have that I haven't played. Like if I had to tell you a couple of the games that I'm most excited to play, one of them is Imperium the Contention, which I just purchased. And that comes mostly from Good Word from Board Game Barrage and Still Very Wrong About Games. But then also, like, we have Star Wars Shatterpoint we still have yet to play. And I'm really, really excited about Star Wars Shatterpoint. Like, I'm really amped about playing that game. And then we just played Cosmic Frog, and I love that. We played Zubatis, and I love that. We played Castle Burgundy, and I love that. Like, we played Monikers, and I love that. Like, I don't, Dune Imperium, we haven't played Dune Imperium in months. I want to play it again so bad. So it's just like, I don't know, it's just hard. But I, I'm still open to new opportunities, new games, like Imperium the Contention, like Zubatis. But at the same time, it's just like, God. I want to play games. I don't play enough games. I think that's the biggest problem. <laughs> yeah, we have we have no shortage of games, right? Like we could be content never getting another new game, but I think Kenny and I at least, uh not to speak for you too much Kenny is like we do get some enjoyment out of the collecting and the buying of the games too. I do too. Um so I just had to stop. It's how do you fit that in? Yeah. It's like the money is like the money is something to think about, but it it really just comes down to time. Um, and I play games like pretty regularly. I have two regular game nights, Monday and Tuesdays. And then like I play on a weekend, like every other week or every three weeks. So like I'm playing board games at a pretty reasonable clip. And I still have games sitting on my shelf that I haven't played. I think I ultimately swapped my collecting from games to movies. And that's because, I mean, that may be funny, but like at the same time, like I can watch movies alone. And like I've been watching a lot of movies because I can just do that a lot easier then I can learn and play a game when I get other people around the table. Um, so it's like, I, I, I like collecting. I like having physical things, both on my movie and game shelf. Yeah. But there was a point where I was collecting and not playing at all. And I was like, I can't, this isn't sustainable. Like I, I can't keep collecting these games and them only being there. And, and I'm known as the coal guy because like, I just, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't have all these games that never get tabled. And now I've just, like, started buying movies. And I'm trying to not overwhelm that either. Like, I don't have that many that I haven't seen yet. And I tend to fully intend to sell ones that I don't really feel like I need to keep. But so I really enjoy that collector's aspect of things. I just decided that I really shouldn't be board games anymore, I think. As you get older, just you have more, more money, less time, and... Yeah, I think that pours out here with board games. So, like, because I, I also I feel, feel like I'm not going to have more so money much... for like 20 years. Well, you never know. Um, because I feel like in a similar space, you like Kyle, like I, I, I have like the monthly, I mean the weekly, uh, game night with Table Knots. I'm usually getting maybe one or two more games in per week. You know, one's usually on Tabletop Simulator. And, like, I kind of feel like I'm good. I'm, like, at capacity for, like, how much I want to, like, play board games in a week. Um, and But, you know, like, how much I'm actually going to go through my collection is, uh, play through my collection is, you know, pretty, pretty low. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? But I'm okay with that. I, I'm okay with, like, yeah. not playing the same games over and over. I'm I'm okay with having a collection. Um, I think I've decided, like, I'm no longer, it's no longer a shelf of shame to me. Yeah. Like, I don't, I've, I've stopped caring. I've stopped caring about getting a game to the table necessarily just to get it played. Um, it's going to be like, if I want something and like, uh, I, I will get it eventually, but like, I'm just going to play something. Like I have games sitting on my shelf, like vagrant song. I've had that for a while. I've had 
bamboo on my shelf for a while. It's, and I'm not trying to like push that to the table like I used to. Like I used to invite people over simply to get a game played so it was no longer on my shelf of shame. Those days are long gone. Yeah, it's like when it when it becomes my pick, I'm gonna just pick the game I want to play, and if it's new, great, and if it's one of the old ones, great. It's I I've stopped feeling bad about not getting games played, um, and I think that's another thing that uh, people should should try to do. Mm-hmm. Like you should not feel shame for not playing. Yeah, something. it's a shelf of opportunity. Eventually, you'll get to it. It's an opportunity. It doesn't need to be shameful. Uh, maybe. Everybody should feel shame, just not about board games. <laughs> if you have as many as Doolin has, you should probably feel some shame. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think I, I think I have many as Doolin, so yeah, I you guess I have shame. shame. I'm just teasing. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I just have to throw in I'm the crying. jab at Doolin as we finish this episode out. <laughs> He's not here, you know? Gotta keep him on his toes. Make him listen to the last two minutes of the pod. <laughs> he He's probably sitting he here thinking, never. he's getting about two minutes in the past, and he's like, wow. I've made it a whole episode, and they haven't made fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the hell? <laughs> Not everybody knows how to do everything. Just when he gets comfortable, that's when we strike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Never be comfortable. Anything else we want to talk about? No, I think that was it. Give your take on Kickstarter in three words or less. Three words or less? Three words. That's it. Oh, my God. That's, that's my answer. Oh, my God yeah. is good. <laughs> yeah, oh, my God is good. Uh, here's my mine's uh good not great. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's uh, your answer. Is, oh, that's good. Mine, mine is I back it. That checks out. <laughs> checks out. Uh, um, my answer is it's going nowhere. That's wow, bleak. How's that bleak? Going no, that's got he got a negative in there. How is it negative? It's only negative because you took it that no, way. I think it's. I think he means like it's here to stay. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, okay, that's okay. what I mean. It's here whether you like it or he, not. You can take yeah. the other way too. You know, wow, that's really deep, Max. That's what I was hoping. The for. juxtaposition of those uh, thoughts mm-hmm. is really <laughs> that's really what really I, hitting me right now. I wanted to make sure you like you were like wow, that that was avant garde. I'm like yes. <laughs> Indeed. And Max, what a wordsmith. He's such a wordsmith. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. Make sure you let us know in the Board Game Box Office channel on Discord your thoughts about Kickstarter. I'm interested. I'm sure this, I think this uh, this episode will probably bring out a lot of conversation. Uh, I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm worried. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. I'm looking forward to, to having those discussions with you all. Uh, politely because we are adults and we can handle each other like adults um whether you agree whether you disagree whether you love kickstarter whether you think it's the most predatory thing on earth i'm sure some of us can find some common ground some way or another thanks for listening to the board game box office podcast make sure you review it on whatever platform you're listening to it really means a lot to us share it with your friends and as always let's get out of here